Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio episode number 96. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we played Monorail Radio Roulette, Disney Plus Roulette. Everybody's doing it nowadays, right? Well, we're doing it. We do it once a month. And we landed on a really interesting movie, thanks to our very loyal listener, Lynn Palmer, uh, who gave us some numbers. We landed on 1990's The Prince and the Pauper. Now, there's a couple of things I want to point out before we get into the actual film here. First, I thank Lynn for giving us these numbers because The Prince and the Pauper is a movie that I grew up watching as a kid you the same, but it's only 25 minutes long. So it's probably not something that would have been on the top of our to-do list if we were, you know, just looking for a movie to review on the show by virtue of it's 25 minutes long. Right. We probably would have skipped over this one in favor of, you know, a regular two-hour movie that we're going to give the full treatment. That's not to say that we're not going to here. It's just different when it's a short film. Yep. This might be a 10-minute review. The other thing (laughs) is... Jackie really likes to own pieces of The Prince and the Pauper. I am putting you on the spot. And remember when it happened and I said, someday I'm going to get you for this? That day has come. That time is now. That time is now. You're really just going to go right for it, huh? Right for it. I'm going to go ahead and let you tell (laughs) the story. We really haven't talked about this on the air No, yet. we've never. We've talked about our Disney Cell collection. And we've mentioned, I think, that we own a Mickey from Prince and the Pauper. We just haven't talked about the, the exponential growth story. of this cell. So I'm going to just let you go ahead and you can tell your story. Well, I do want to start off by saying I didn't even realize I had seen this in the theater. I don't really remember it because I was three at the time um but my dad took me to see rescuers down under and that's why this film was done as a short it was the lead-in to rescuers down under so i definitely saw it because i saw that in theaters yeah and i thought that it was just something made for the wonderful world of disney right because that's where i saw it for the first time well it's i mean it's it's the perfect you know, it's 25 minutes. It's perfect for the wonderful world of Disney because yeah. it's a half hour. You slap some commercials in there and you're good to go. Right. Exactly. But as far as the cell collection goes, I didn't see it and become some like massive fan of Prince and the Pauper and, you know, sat down and said, I need everything from this movie. Um, we've talked about the cell collection. We've been building it for quite a while and we knew we wanted another mickey we have a mickey from a christmas carol which my parents bought me for my college graduation so we knew we wanted like another facet of mickey and we found the one from the prince and the pauper and we won it in an auction so cut to a few years later it was right after i had purchased My wedding dress, actually, which is kind of a key part to the story because... It is the key part (laughs) to the story. At the time, I had no business 
doing any auctions because that's right we were months away from getting married we were going on our honeymoon i literally just bought the dress this is all accurate (laughs) but i did it anyway uh there was a disney animation cell auction coming up and to be fair this wasn't entirely my fault because they the way that they did the auction you used to be able to like favorite if you will the cells that you wanted to bid on. It was like adding it to a watch list like you would on eBay. Right. And then if you couldn't attend the auction in person, you just watched it go up online and then you either upped your bid or you let it go. So they changed companies and that was not the format they were using anymore. So I had like five cells on my watch list. I knew I wasn't going to be able to watch live. So they allowed you to set your max bid. And I mean, we don't go crazy spending money on these cells but i set the max bid for like three hundred dollars a piece because any less than that you're gonna lose did i or did i not before the auction say please don't even look at the lots don't even tempt fate you know you could have got them as a wedding present okay and it's not entirely your fault is basically like saying kennedy's driver drove in the bullet's trajectory I'm just saying. (laughs) But go ahead. Please continue your story. Well, the next thing I know, I was at work. I was not watching the auction at all. And I won. Not one. Not two. How many did you win, Jack? Um, I won all five. (laughs) I never win anything. (laughs) Well, apparently you do. Then leads to I get home from work and you sit me down and you explain and I look at you and I said well I have never felt more like Lucille Ball by the way and I I said well congratulations I'm not paying for any of these so I hope (laughs) I hope you get plenty of overtime this month (laughs) uh, because they're yours and then I said what did you win and you rambled them you rambled them off and you go oh and I got I got the next frame in the Prince and the Pauper. And I say, what do you mean you got the next frame? We have our cell. And then you won literally the frame right after the frame we already own. And if you look at them really fast, it's just like you're watching the movie. Great. And I said to you, don't you realize that sort of devalues the first one that we have if these are so readily available? No, no, we have a set. Okay. To be <laughs> fair, though, I did not realize that they had changed the auction format. I did email the company, and they were very nice, and they fixed the error, so we ended up keeping three of the five. I did not have to commit to all five of them. And I think It you still were... cost me a pretty penny and I think at the worst time possible. You got thrown out. Didn't they toss you after that? You were no longer allowed to participate in their auctions after that happened? Oh, please. I mean, they'll take your money. Exactly. Just like they took your money to go see the rescuers down under with the opening act, The Prince and the Pauper. The good king of England has fallen ill and his captain has started to pillage the kingdom in the king's name. Sounds a lot like Robin Hood. Mickey, Goofy, and Pluto are living as paupers, hoping to someday live like a king. Pluto chases the captain's carriage past the palace gates, and Mickey chases after him. And after he is initially caught by the captain, is allowed past the... Well, actually, no. Before he gets captured by the captain, he is allowed past the gates by a guard who mistakes Mickey 
for the prince because they are a mirror image of each other. The prince, meanwhile, is in the palace and he daydreams of getting out of the palace in spite of the fact that his father is dying. And he sees the captain tussling with Mickey and Pluto and instructs him to send Mickey up. So after that fight, then the captain sends him up the stairs and upon seeing each other and realizing they share an uncanny resemblance, they decide to change places for one day. The prince encounters Goofy, who still believes him to be Mickey, while Mickey partakes in royal duties in the palace, such as his lessons and just really acting like a prince. The prince sees how poorly the captain's men treat the townsfolk in the name of the king and eventually intercepts a carriage carrying food that was stolen from the townsfolk, and he exposes himself as the prince and orders the food to be returned. Some of the captain's men don't believe him and chase him away, but when the captain realizes that the prince is in fact outside of the palace walls, he sees this as an opportunity to eliminate him and gain full control of the kingdom. Back at the palace, the king has died, and they begin to ring the bell to signal the news of his death as well as the impending coronation of the prince. The captain shows Mickey that they have captured Pluto and use him as leverage to get basically whatever they want out of Mickey, who is, right now, acting as the prince. The prince hears the bells and exposes his true identity to Goofy, but is captured by the captain and thrown in the dungeon where he joins his loyal subject, Donald Duck, but is broken out eventually by Goofy, who is disguised as an executioner. The prince arrives to stop the coronation and with the help of Goofy, Donald, and Pluto defeat the captain and his men. The prince is crowned the king of England and appoints Mickey and Goofy as his confidants and goes on to rule England with conviction and care. I love that the movie opens with the book on the velvet. And that's something that I feel like we've gotten away from. Because I, I feel like the first few episodes of Monoreal Radio, if you guys go back and listen to them, if you're just catching up, first off, welcome. Secondly, go ahead and check out that back catalog. We discussed so many movies that had the book opening on the blue velvet. In this case, it is the red velvet. I think that that's a Walt era thing. Yes. Because all of the fairy tales open on the book, but it was something that I noticed. I think when we did Robin Hood, I want to say it was the red velvet and this one was red as well. And I'm wondering if it has to do with the films that were made after Walt passed away. It could be. Because Jungle Book was the last one that he worked on and that was still on the blue. Yeah. I think the score is great. I mean, from the minute you get that book and you get the narration... I really love, I don't, know, I don't know what else to say, I love the score. I, I feel, I'm, I'm really impressed looking back on it with the amount of detail and I think the amount of money that they spent to stuff into this 25-minute short film. Well, that's it. I mean, we're looking at it as 25 minutes, but it's still a Mickey film. And it's also based on a book by Mark Twain, so you kind of had to bring the big guns. Yeah, I think so. I think... The detail in the animation, it, it, from the minute the movie starts, is what I think really captured me as a kid. Mm. Because, I, I mean, I dare say that you, you put the palace in this movie, you can put it up against almost any palace in any Disney film, whether it be 
uh, Sleeping Beauty, whether it be Cinderella, whether it be Robin Hood. I mean, it is that impressive. I was very critical of the palace in Robin Hood because when Robin, when you have the scene where he goes in and King John is, or Prince John is asleep. And um, he goes to steal all of the bags of coins back. I said it looks very barren, especially once all those coins have been removed from the room. This is more what I was expecting that to look like. You know, it's palatial. It's, you know, furnished and it's got a lot of colors and texture and... You know, it's filled with material things. And that's what I was really expecting to see in Robin Hood, especially when you're trying to demonstrate the contrast between the rich and the poor. He's sitting in like an empty bedroom that looks like a dungeon. Speaking of Robin Hood, what I'm really surprised at is that this setup, I don't feel is nearly as sad as Robin Hood or even like the Muppets Christmas Carol where they really showed how impoverished these people were. Yeah, they didn't really play up on the squalor at all. Especially because they open with Mickey and Goofy sort of singing about what they would eat if they could afford it. And it almost makes a joke out of it because Mickey's like, I'd have a pizza. Yeah, um, we'll talk about that one song in a few minutes here, like a king. Um but I agree with you. I, I guess because it was a short film, and I think because they were condensing a longer story, and they knew this was something that was going to get shown on the wonderful world of Disney once it <clears throat> excuse me finished its theatrical run opening for The Rescuers Down Under. And, and remember something, in 1988, you're only three years removed from The Black Cauldron. I think that Disney was trying to keep it light, They were trying to keep it fun. I don't think they wanted to take it that seriously. But I do agree with you. It's not nearly as heart-wrenching. And in Robin Hood, the best example, when um, Robin Hood is dressed up as the beggar and he's he's trying to get money for the poor and the captain steals the little boy's Christmas or uh, the little boy's uh, birthday gift, it's rough. You definitely don't get that here. Right. I think that probably is, I think you're right on both counts. Most of it probably had to do with the timing, but it's still, again, it's a Mickey movie. You're going to try and keep it light. I mean, even if you think back on Mickey's Christmas Carol, that movie, until it gets to the very end of the film, even that's sort of lighthearted for the story that they're telling. I also feel like with Christmas Carol, you have a little bit more wiggle room because that and it's not to say that the prince and the pauper isn't a well-known story but it's like a christmas carol there are so many versions of it and it plays in december every year in some way shape or form people know the story backwards and forwards and inside out i feel like this one even though there have been so many iterations of prince and the pauper people may not be as familiar with it i think there's a larger room for interpretation here I agree. And to piggyback off of what you were saying about how full the palace was when we got in, it reminded me of Arendelle, of the palace in Arendelle. Well, that and clearly Disney loves a good coronation. They clearly love a coronation day. But yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, to compare it immediately to something, it's definitely Arendelle. Like, it doesn't look like Cinderella's castle. It doesn't look like Sleeping Beauty's. I don't know if Frozen necessarily influence from here but I feel like stylistically it was the closest absolutely 
let's talk about because I know usually we 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 kind of start with the story and then move on uh, in in further dissecting certain things here and when we've kind of gone a little out of order. But I feel like it's necessary in this case, given the nature of this film, because it is so short and because they really do pack a lot in the first few minutes of the movie to certainly catch your eye, which leads me to breaking down the story here. I mean, I was able to read you the plot of that movie in like about a minute, it not, not much more than that. But what I'm impressed with here is that I don't feel like you lose anything in the story of The Prince and the Pauper. I think that Disney did a good job to break the story down, take it and and turn it into a 25-minute film that children will understand, but the pacing doesn't seem jagged at all. I would agree with that, especially because I feel like if you had added scenes or if you turned this into an hour feature length... I feel like it would have been too long and it certainly would have dragged. The only thing that I wish they had maybe done differently is that when Mickey meets the prince, it's because he chases Pluto into the palace and he's looking for him. Um, I kind of feel like it would have been more plausible if they had a chance meeting on the streets, almost like maybe the prince was doing the Jasmine thing of, I want to just get out of the palace for a second and go and be amongst the people and hide in plain sight. And maybe they met that way. And the prince didn't necessarily, once he's had a taste of it, doesn't want to go back. I feel like it's kind of a stretch to have Mickey just wandering the palace. I disagree because I think that if the prince can just come and go as he pleases, then you're losing the entire point of the movie. The entire point of the movie is that they, or, or the story really, is that they switch places because the prince can't leave the palace. He can't be amongst his people. Right, and it's a story of the grass is always greener. I'm right. not saying that he should have had the freedom to leave, but I'm saying like Jasmine, she snuck out. I'm thinking he sneaks out and that's where he runs into Mickey. It would be plausible, uh, um, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like it just would have watered down his entire motivation. I, I just, if he can go whenever he wants, then why is he going to strike this deal with Mickey to get out for a day? If he can just go as he pleases, what's, what's the incentive? Well, because he doesn't want the responsibility either. He needs I, somebody to actually sit there and be him. And I think maybe that's something that does get lost in this because mm. they do condense the story so much, is that... The king is dying. You know, the prince is losing his father. And he's very kind of lackadaisical about that. Like, it, it, he comes off as if he does not care. Right. And I feel like this is where they had maybe the opportunity to stick in a bit more comedy. I mean, if this is where you were to do the feature length, this is where you could have built on it a little bit to see Mickey sitting in for him and really struggling with having to make some decisions or maybe an issue that they've been working on gets put in his lap and and he has to finalize it and he's not going to know everything that went into it because he hasn't been working on it the entire time. So I kind of feel like I would have liked to see more of that struggle on Mickey's end that he couldn't really get acclimated and on the prince's end, I would have liked to see a little bit more steal from the rich and give to the poor. Because they have the one scene where he's distributing all the food, but I feel like 
other than going back to Goofy's residence, whatever it is, I don't, it's not really a house. It's kind of an apartment. I don't, it seems like he's squatting. Yeah. Um, I feel like he hasn't seen the worst of it. I agree. Um, I think that if the movie does any sort of disservice at all, I think it kind of makes the prince unlikable. Um, I remember, first off, as a kid, I always thought this movie was a lot longer than it was. Same. And I think maybe that was because my copy was a VHS that I had taped off of the wonderful world of Disney. So you probably had commercials. Yeah. In fact, on the same VHS, I had an episode of Full House. Oh, my. The episode where Michelle has her bike stolen with the Kermit sticker on the basket. And Jesse and Joey go and steal it back from that kid who she thinks stole it from her to find out that she left it at somebody's house. Oh, my God. The kid who played the bully in that movie or in that show, I ended up going to high school with him. Was that a Masterson? No. I did go to school with a Masterson um, from, like, first grade on. and uh, But, no, that was not a Masterson. That's really funny. I don't remember, admittedly, who the kid was. I remember the episode, but I do not remember the bully. We'll talk. Th- you met him at, at my high school reunion. We'll talk about it off air because nobody wants to hear about that. But that's no, what I No, I hope remember. he's not listening. He probably isn't. But, uh, <laughs> John, you were fantastic. And so it, it, I remember vividly that ran into the wonderful world. And I would always just kind of watch one into the other. So I think one into the other with the commercials probably gave me the feeling, the illusion that it was a 90-minute movie mm. or at least an hour long because I was astonished when we landed on it to find out that it was only 25 minutes. So to kind of piggyback off of what you're saying, could they have stretched it? They probably could have stretched it into, at best, an hour. But I think even then, it's exactly that, a stretch. No, and at 90 minutes, you're going to be sitting there bored to tears. I want to circle back to something you just said, though, that the prince is unlikable. That's still Mickey. How dare you? But it's not. It's somebody that looks like Mickey. That's why I don't feel bad saying it. But I think because they condense it so much and they don't really flesh him out, he comes off more selfish than anything. And maybe that's sort of the point, but he comes off more selfish than he does anything else. I mean, his father's dying. I understand he wants to go and see the outside world. I think that's where Jasmine is a much better fleshed out royal character than the prince is in this. Mm -hmm. Um, because he sort of comes off as not caring and lazy and, because he's not paying attention in his lessons. And he's very childish in that way. No, and I don't feel like he ever really learns his lesson. I mean, you know, I said it before that he, we didn't see, see enough steal from the rich and give to the poor. He does it in that one instance, but I feel like, it just sort of happened. I I didn't see a lot of motivation for it. And then once the king passes away, we see him find out the news and he's sad. But there was never a moment of like, I'm going to avenge my father. I'm right. going to do the right thing. My father let this kingdom fall apart. I'm going to fix it. There was none of that vengeance from him. No. And I guess... 
for the sake of keeping it light for the kiddies, you're not necessarily going to flesh all of that out. I mean, the way that they did it works, but I feel like there was a bit of an opportunity here that they missed with him specifically, where he just does when when he hears the bell ringing, he puts his hat on and he, it's basically like, okay, it's my turn. And yes. he just goes back. Now, we saw that he is witness to how poor the townsfolk are being treated and he steals the food back on their behalf. So, like, he had his call to action and he did it. But other than that and flashing his ring and telling people he's the prince, he never... They never fleshed out that moment where he grows up. Right. And he really doesn't have to like claw his way back into the castle. I mean, Pete seizes it, which we have to talk about too, yeah. is that the villain in this movie, I feel like the villain is always Pete. Like poor Pete really got the short end of this. Yeah. But, but he works as the he villain. totally does. He totally, yeah. What were you going to do? Put goofy as the villain? No, no. But, um, you know, Pete captures him. He throws him in the dungeon with Donald, who they've already gotten, who was like his advisor. Um, and he does eventually have to regain his place on the throne and prove that it's really him. But I feel like he didn't have to work very hard to get people to believe that he was the prince. No, all he had to do was show a ring. Right. And when you even get to the final scene at the end... He's the prince. He's standing there and he basically says guards seize him to the captain. And they rather than following order, they just fight him back. And and I know you had to, like, give us a little action and he needed to actually be defeated at the end. And you needed the prince to defeat him more than just saying seize him and go to jail. But that within itself didn't really make a lot of sense. I mean, like, why at that point you're you're already foiled. Your 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 plan is is over with. It's down the tubes. So what are you going to gain by killing the prince with all of these witnesses? Right. I feel like they sacrificed a lot of conflict to keep this short. And where they did spend the time where it could have probably been shortened was all of the sight gags. Like when Goofy does bust out the prince and Donald from the dungeon. And when the prince does eventually bust into the coronation and and breaks it up, there's a fight. You know, they're shooting arrows at each other. They're sword fighting and what have you. Um you know, it's it's got that cer- it's certainly that Disney classic, almost a snatch and grab feel to it. Um, but I feel like those are the parts that dragged on, and maybe we could have gotten a little bit more story out of it had those scenes not been so lengthy. See, and I'm on the opposite side of the fence where I feel like there was just enough silliness and comedy to balance off of some of the drama, and, and obviously the drama comes from the scene where the king passes away. Let's talk about that for a minute. This is a very, very strong scene. It's pretty rough, considering how much they tiptoed around not showing poverty. They really went for it here. They did, and I think the visual of the candle burning out is absolutely spectacular. It's a little on the nose. I love it. I, th- I think it's great. Because I think that as a child, before they even say the king is dead, I remember seeing this film as a 
four-year-old or a five-year-old for the first time, and I knew what it meant. That's the thing. Like, I do think this movie does a good job of breaking the story down to the point where a child understands what's happening. Well, that's true, because we never even see the king. It's right. not even that they cut out of it before he passes. It's that you never see him. So I guess you did have to have something symbolic to show it. But what kind of strikes me watching it is that the prince never gets to say goodbye. No. Because it's Mickey that's in there. Which is a very tough situation for Mickey Mouse. Right. He has to sit there and pretend to be the prince. And he knows that he's not. But he also knows that the prince is not going to get this opportunity to say this goodbye. You could tell. And it's it's it, it's sort of insane to say because Mickey is an animated character. We're speaking of him as if he were an actual person acting in a role. But... That is a compliment to the direction, the animation, and the voice acting. Like, you buy his pain. You buy him as a real person. You feel so bad for Mickey that he has to sit there and pretend to be this man's son who he's saying goodbye to because in the back of his mind, he knows the son's never going to get a chance to say goodbye, and he's never going to get a chance to say goodbye to his son. You're speaking to an imposter. Right. No, and that's what I was talking about earlier is that that's where they could have built this out a little bit more, too, was if they created these scenarios where he doesn't know what to do and he doesn't know what the right call is. And I'm surprised that this is what they chose to do instead of keeping it light. Yeah. And then you also get it balanced. The Poor Pluto. Like, he is just abused by Pete and his weasel guards. Whether it's him being tied up or, or how rough is the visual where Pete just grabs the rope and, and just holds him. It's holds him above the ground and, and you get that little choke sound. Oh, it's rough. Yeah. It's really rough. I don't know that they would put that in a Disney film now. As we sit here at the time of this recording 32 years later. I'm not sure that that visual with that sound effect, because it's a dog, it's Pluto. No, you never want to hear that yelp. But I don't think you can do that now. I'm not agree. saying I'm not offended by it. I don't care that it exists. But I, I think if they remade this, that visual gets left out. I agree. So do you have anything else to add on the story here? This is so weird. Not really. I mean... I keep going back. Before we get into the music, of course, the one song. Yeah, I I really keep going back and forth as far as, you know, should it be a feature length? Should it be a short? Because there's stuff that they left on the table. But again, anything else they would have done with it, it might have just been too long. So, I I mean, it tells a complete story. It That it definitely does. Regardless of the length. I mean, they... You know, they got the adaptation. It's easy to understand. Um, I I don't know that you can do too much differently here. I agree. Like a King is the only song in this movie. It's often forgotten about because it's only a few bars long. Is it a forgotten classic? If I'm really stretching it, I will say yes, I do think it is. But I I may only feel that way because I've seen this movie so many times having watched the videotape as a kid. Does it stack up anywhere 
near any of the other songs in the Disney canon? No way. Honestly, I don't even think this needed a song. It's not a musical. So to have it just to get Mickey to sing and, and give something to entertain the kids, I don't think you needed it. That's it. And that's the exact thing is it's the only song. You hear it once and it's very quick. It's under a minute long. And then they do like a reprise at the end Mm -hmm. of the movie and that's it. So if you had had three or four songs and you were kind of doing like a mini musical and maybe that's kind of what they were trying for and they dialed back. Like if you were going to stretch this to a 45 minutes, we'll, we'll give it 45 minutes. And that means that it'll show for an hour on television and you wanted to have three or four musical numbers, you could have stretched it out. Right. But they didn't. So I don't, I mean, I like the song, but it feels out of place. It definitely does. And I feel like that's where, again, you could have cut something to give it a little bit more conflict. Like maybe Donald, there's a scene where Donald sort of busts him that it's that it's not really the prince or that he yeah. can't he can't pass the test to prove and you know and, and he's exposed for being the stand in maybe but i don't know i tried you know i tried to find some information on this i really think it just is what it is it was made to to go before rescuers and this was the story that they were going to do and that was it um i don't know that this was like some waltier a script that they had and they planned to do an adaptation and it just got shelved for years and years and years and they just decided to put it out as a half hour. I don't, you know, it's it's not the case. Like we've we've seen songs get repurposed and we've seen seen things change where they were maybe going to be in one film and they were going to be used in another. Yeah. We've seen recycled animation. Yeah. Um but I wasn't able to find out if this was just something that was being worked on and got cut down for the sake of the half hour. But I, I really think that was it. They were just pushing it out there as a little preview. And um, funny enough, they didn't do another short until Olaf's Frozen Adventure. That was the next film that had a half hour premiere before it. Now, let me ask you this. Do you, I mean... For like thirty three minutes in, it, it's is it final synopsis time? Is it final review? I, I think it is. I mean, we've exceeded the running time of the film. I guess. What th- else do you want to say? I think that it actually is a forgotten classic. And to piggyback the the movie, not not the song, but I, I think the movie is a forgotten classic because I think that it does do a good job of. I think you do get a full story. I think while the prince is not totally fleshed out i think they did just enough where a child can watch it and be entertained and understand what's happening i think it's paced fairly well i think the animation's great i think the outfits the outfits look great and the setting that they painted is is unbelievable and to piggyback off of what you said with the olaf frozen adventure i wish they would do more like these i remember as a kid watching whether it be the wonderful world of Disney or whether it was something on the Disney channel or my grandmother would take us to the library and we could go take a movie out. And you, you always found some sort of Mickey cartoon or a Roger rabbit short or a series of that you could take home and watch. I would love to see them do more of this. Maybe there's a home for that on Disney plus. 
Or even look at what they do with the Pixar shorts. Everybody loves a Pixar short. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, I grew up with this with this little movie. It's cute. I love it. I, I, there's, there's, I don't know what else you want me to say about it. No, I mean, there's really nothing to criticize. It just is what it is. It's, it's a half hour. It's entertaining. It certainly tells the story of the Prince and the Pauper. And I don't think you really need it to be anything more. You know, there's not, there's not the huge lesson that we're supposed to take away from Robin Hood or from Christmas Carol. I mean, those. There is a lesson here, but it didn't need to be stretched out any longer to prove that point. Understood. And I agree. You guys can let us know what you think of The Prince and the Pauper on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. News this week, we do have some Disney Plus news, and we have some Parks conversation, starting with... Into the Unknown, that debuted on Disney Plus this past week. And I have to be honest with you, I was sort of lukewarm when they announced it. I thought, okay, so you're kind of just going to take some bonus features on the Blu-ray or the DVD, and you're going to stretch it into an episodic thing here because we're in this quarantine. You can't shoot anything. You're behind schedule. Your slate is open. So you're just going to jam something. And I, I don't like I should know better. I should expect more from Disney because now that we're watching into the unknown, it's absolutely mesmerizing. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was going to be some sort of found footage thing that they sort of cobbled together for Disney Plus just because we are in this remote work situation. Uh, I was blown away. I mean... The, this is the kind of stuff that I eat for breakfast. I love any kind of behind the scenes making of production end of it. But what's so striking to me about this is that they really put you in the seat with the production team because we all know Frozen was amazing. There's no debate about whether or not this movie was going to be a success. I mean, I, I think we all knew the immense amount of pressure that was on them to follow up the first one, but I really didn't think they were going to show that side of it. Yeah. I really thought it was going to be like, okay, here, who was the one? What Roy said it in uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty. We're on the way to another great film after yep. the last yep. great film yep. or something to that effect. And I really thought it was just going to be more celebratory. And What's very different about this, too, is that usually you've got your talent sort of selling the film and talking about their experience making it. And you see, you know, Kristen Bell looking adorable and Idina's is all happy and Josh Gad is being so positive and, you know, just championing the film. It's what they do. And they really put you in the driver's seat with this crew. And it was really shocking. And even even just to watch things like um, how they struggled with show yourself yeah, and that it almost got cut. And then when they decided not to cut it, they still, it, it wasn't just an immediate hit. They still had to really, really work on the song and work on the sequence. And, you know, when they finally got it right, I had chills. Somebody may have even started cutting an onion. And I was like, this is ridiculous that Disney is just this good at storytelling when I know exactly what's going to happen and I'm still so emotionally invested. Yeah, I mean, they really scrutinized that song. 
Um, but they got it right, and uh, I I think it's if you haven't watched it yet. I certainly would recommend it. I think you agree. Yeah, there's way more to it than just feeling like it's a bonus feature on a DVD. It's definitely worth watching, especially if you are into the production or animation process. It's really valuable to learn from it. Yeah. We have Hamilton coming to Disney Plus this week, July the 3rd, causing some buzz because people are excited about it, but I... Unless I'm reading this wrong, I have been led to believe that there is going to be a certain amount of foul language that is allowed. And I don't know if I'm like, I listen, I'm not offended by most things, and this certainly does not offend me, but I will say that I feel like there are certain things that have been left off of Disney Plus because they've been considered questionable for their language or their content. And I understand you're trying to show Hamilton as Hamilton, but I don't think, if, if what I'm reading, and I might be wrong, uh, and you can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monorail Radio if I'm wrong, but if I'm reading this correctly, then I have no problem saying there's no place for the F word on Disney+. Plus. That's sort of my opinion of this. Well, you're sort of wrong, and I'm not going to tell you on social media. I'm going to tell you right now. This does not necessarily have to do with Disney+. Plus. I believe that for a film to have an R rating, you have three or more F-bombs. So what Lin-Manuel did, and I think this is where the controversy lies, is that he cut one of them. So the Hamilton purists are upset that it's they're not going to get to see it full out. But I say, number one, be happy you have it, especially if you live in New York, because we just found out that Broadway is canceled until 2021. So if you haven't seen Hamilton yet, this is your only shot at it. And it's a lot cheaper than going into the city anyway. Yeah, those tickets were like $400 when these this play opened. Yeah. So... Just enjoy it for what it is. Be happy that you get to see it in any capacity. And we're talking about one F-bomb. It's not like they had to cut five songs to make this work for Disney+. Plus. It's a line. Get over it. I, I, I don't think... If I had a kid, Disney Plus is where... It's, it's a safe place. I think Disney... And, and it does lead into our next topic of conversation because we're going to address the... 800 pound Br'er Rabbit in the room in just a moment here. <laughs> but I feel like if, if Disney is trying to create a safe place and there are other films or television shows that have been left, I mean, for God's sake, they canceled Lizzie McGuire because it was too adult. So how can you justify that and you leave the F word in a film on Disney Plus? That's my point. No, and I, I do agree with you in that regard. My issue is more with the Hamilton fans that are complaining about this. Yeah. But as far as the level of what's appropriate, what's not, I mean, that's also where, you know, they, they have the parental controls. So maybe it comes out this Friday, you put your kids to bed, you watch it at night, and if you you know, deem it suitable, you can watch it the next day with them on the 4th of July. That's why, you know, that's why they're releasing it now. I believe they actually moved it up. I think it was supposed to come out later on in the year in Disney Plus, but they're doing it for the holiday weekend. So if you're not sure, watch it. 
And if you don't think it's suitable, then make sure your kids aren't tuning in. So we got news this week that Splash Mountain is getting a re-theme. Um, don't know if you heard. Yeah, don't know if you heard that or not. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this um, because it's a very sensitive subject for a lot of people, and I understand why. It's getting rethemed. Princess and the Frog is taking over. Apparently, it, this has been in the works for quite some time. I will say this. I love Splash Mountain. I've got phenomenal memories of Splash Mountain. And I will always have those memories. And I think that Princess and the Frog is a film that is sorely underrepresented in the Disney parks. I think that the overlay will be seamless. And I also sit here and I think to myself, well, common sense would dictate that if we can't have Song of the South on Disney Plus to talk about content that is not deemed appropriate, if you can't watch Song of the South, then why would you have an entire ride themed after it? You know, and and, and we can get into that debate, though I choose not to. Um, there are people who have asked, will we ever review Song of the South? The answer is, yes, we will. We bought the DVD the week that we launched this program. Because but we knew it was very hard to find. We had and to we buy wanted it. to cover this was before Disney Plus was even announced. Yeah. So we knew we were going to cover it eventually and it was very hard to track down even then. So we made sure we got a copy of it. We had to buy it in the UK or buy it from a vendor in the UK and have it shipped overseas because they've never had it released on on home video in, in the United States. Are we doing this anytime soon? Absolutely not. And that's out of respect to everything that's going on, and we don't want people to get upset. We don't want them to think that we're capitalizing on something. But will we ever do the film? Yes, we will do the film. It's just a matter of time. But if you can't buy the movie, if I had to go to a retailer in the UK to buy the movie, and you can't watch it on Disney+, Plus. As much as I love the attraction, I certainly see the other side of the fence where if you can't have the film, why do you have the ride? And, and that's the most I will say about it. I definitely agree. While I can't speak too much to the ride, because admittedly I went on it once when I was 10 because I'm a big baby and it was a one and done for me. Um, you know, I'm not really going to get into that aspect of it but we have said it before on the show where take something like Indiana Jones. It's one thing if you're in the comfort of your own home and you elect to sit down and watch a film, you sort of know what you're getting yourself into. Or if you're showing it to your kids for the first time, you have to have some sort of basis of knowledge for what you're exposing them to. It's not really fair to be on vacation with your family and see a swastika on the side of a plane and not know that it's coming. What, so, when that was what was in the original Indiana Jones stunt show spectacular. Right. So they covered over that with, it's, it's a red cross now. So I totally understand why they did it. And I think the same applies here. If you found the film Song of the South offensive, 
and you don't, if you've never been on the ride before and you don't necessarily know what's coming other than the drop, because that's what Splash Mountain is known for, you know, it's not really fair to be completely taken by surprise. And I think that John Sicari of Big Fat Panda said it best. Yes, he did. Is that it wasn't everybody's laughing place. Now, I love John. I respect John. I'm not going to sit here and stand behind something that somebody else has said without giving our own opinion. Um, I totally understand why they're doing this. If you don't understand or you don't agree with it, then I think you're a thousand percent part of the problem. And I implore you to go look in a mirror and pick up a book because there's no question about whether or not Disney is doing the right thing and addressing this because whether or not this is a question of song of the South just had to go or princess and the frog needed more representation. I think it's a little bit of column a a little bit of column B. We do have princess and the frog at Port Orleans. We were supposed to get more of it in the new resort, which has since been postponed, but it's just not enough, especially when you have such an easy way to fit Tiana in in New Orleans Square, when they, you know, everybody goes and they get the Mickey beignets, you could have made that Tiana's Cafe. Um, so I think Disney was a little late to the party here with trying to incorporate this ride. Um, especially, to, too, because we had talked about it. Um, we were just on an episode of the, Dys the Dyslexic podcast. And we talked about how we were talking about wishes. Yeah. It was a throwback episode. And... What I loved about Wishes was that it encompassed all of your fantasy land stories. So here's a fairy tale. Here's a princess. It's not the same having her represented at a hotel as it is to have her in the park. I definitely think that Disney is doing the right thing there, even though they really always have been at the forefront of diversity. They've done it in their storytelling. They've done it in their casting but they really didn't do it to the fullest when it comes to Princess and the Frog. I will say this, though. I do feel like this was sort of a knee-jerk reaction, and I don't know that I believe for a second that they were working on this the entire time. Because, I mean, maybe they were, but let's state the facts. It was not introduced at D23. There was no major announcement when there were so many big announcements about park changes this past year. Almost everything that they announced at Epcot has since been shelved. And what I really find that's sort of unbelievable about it is that you're doing it to both parks. Disney's thing has always been they want you to travel to all of the parks. That's why once upon a time we were supposed to get a Cars Land at MGM and we no longer have it because if you have it in Florida, you're not going to go to California. Right. So why are we having the same ride? I do understand from a business standpoint, they have to get something in quick. They have to do something that's going to be easy to retrofit because with all of these shelved projects, they don't have enough money to cover this. So... I see what they're doing there, but as far as putting the ride, putting this film into Frontierland, 
I think it works better for Disneyland because you can just extend New Orleans Square. You could mm-hmm. do the Beignet Cafe and then you have the Haunted Mansion and then the next thing would be the mountain and you could do, you know, there's a lot of debate about the name. You could do like a Bayou Falls and it would just extend beautifully out of yeah. New Orleans. I think Disney World it's going to be very disjointed. And if the issue was just get rid of Song of the South, however it had to be, I kind of wish that they had introduced maybe another IP and given us another ride from another film that's maybe less represented. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking, you know, ironically, we were talking about it. I think Rescuers Down Under could work because there is the whole scene where they're flying down the waterfall in the back of the eagle. I think that'd be really cool, actually. And I feel like, you could pass the mountain for something, you know, that would, you'd believe you'd see that in Australia. Sure, That's really my only issue with it. It has nothing to do with the social commentary. It just has to do with being a Disney fan and wanting to see more rides that don't get a lot of love. Right. And giving us something in California and then something in Orlando where you are having two very unique experiences, even though the fall is the same, you're getting two completely different experiences, much like you have Dinosaur here, unfortunately. And then you've got the amazing Indiana Jones ride out in California. Yeah, if we're going to double down on any ride, please yeah. let it be Indy. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you in that the... Um, the, the timing of it certainly can be suspect and, and people can sit there and say, no, you, you haven't been working on this. The fact is we don't know. I'm going to take them at their word, um, as suspect as the timing would be. What I, what I'm hoping comes out of this more than anything else are two things. The first and, and most important being, I want people to be able to go to Disney and feel safe in Disney. I want children to go to Disney and feel like they're in a magical place where it is a safe place for them. Absolutely. The other thing that I really hope is that this is not the end of zippity doo Because in spite of the fact that it came out of Song of the South, the song has... And, and you know, I don't want to insult anybody by saying this, and, and some people might say just the hearing the song reminds us of the movie, and it's all... So I apologize if that's how it's coming off. That's obviously not my intention here. But zippity doo everybody knows zippity doo It has become such a classic. I mean, you, you grow up with zippity doo Everybody grows up with zippity doo It's just Mr. Bluebird on my shoulder. And uh, I put it up there with like a supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. It's, it's a song to me that, that is in the same vein. So, so you're going to take Song of the South out. I agree with it. You won't get any debate from me. I just hope that somewhere we can still hear zippity doo in the park. I absolutely agree with you. And whether you agree with the changes or not, there is one thing that everyone has to keep in mind. And that is that Walt himself said Disneyland will never be complete. So this is part of that. This is progress. And with that being said, thank you so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us monorealradio at gmail.com and check out monorealradio.com where you have access to every episode of the show. Of course, you have those on your podcast platform of choice as well. Be sure to hit the subscribe button and please, if you are so inclined, 
please leave us a review on iTunes. We've had a lot of fun in the last couple of weeks with some guests. We want to make sure that we're still giving you guys excellent guests, excellent contest, uh, content, and contests. Maybe more contests. Maybe more contests. Uh, and that all comes with the help of your reviews. So it would be greatly appreciated. Thank you so much again. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.